Hi, I'm Alul. Sup, I'm Boo. Yeah, I'm Alul. This is the voice of Canberra youth. And this is the voice of Multicultural Youth. The show about multiculturalism, diversity, sharing experiences, and achieving goals. Stay tuned for our wonderful interviews and good music for you to enjoy. You are listening to the Multicultural Youth Program on 2XFM. Live Thursday, 6 till 7 p.m. Hi guys, welcome to 98.3, you're live with Bull. I'm Amar and our guest today, Jason. He works for the Aussie and we're going to ask for him a lot, of, a lot of questions later. And Malwa will be joining us in a few minutes. And yeah, this is the Multicultural Youth Radio. It's about diversity, multiculturalism, achieving, it's sharing goals and achieving experiences. And so, uh, Jason, can you uh, give us a brief introduction about yourself? Hi, I'm, well, I'm Jason. As as um, as you said, I work for the Australian Aid Program, but I'm just um, here in Canberra visiting. I used to live in Canberra as well, but I've um, lived in a number of parts of the world. I've spent actually most of my my life living outside of Australia in the Pacific Islands, Cook Islands, Kiribati. Most people don't know where Kiribati is, um, but anyway, uh, I can tell you about that now or later on, or and. Currently, I'm living in Africa, in South Africa, and um, have travelled to about 11 countries, actually, as a part of my work in uh, South Africa. So Fantastic. How long have you been there for now? How long 18 is months it's now. 18 months, yeah, and yeah. have you enjoyed travelling around? Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. I'm actually worried I don't, I don't want to come back to Australia now that, I, <laughs> <laughs> now that I've been there so long. Yeah. So your childhood must have been very interesting. I mean, you've obviously grown up, you lived in a number of countries. Did you spend your childhood there, is that...? Right. I, I went there when I um, graduated from university. I went okay. to Cook okay. Islands okay. For, uh, to work. But um, actually, growing up, we tra- we I went to seven different schools by the time I was in my ninth year. So I actually think I had uh, was bred as a nomad. So we travelled <laughs> around Australia in all different places. And yeah. So. And did you when you finished your studies there? Were you teaching? I understand you you've done some study. In, yeah. In I, I, well, I studied as a teacher and then um, when I graduated there was an actual surplus of teachers in Australia so I applied with the Australian Volunteers Program and okay. they sent me to the Cook Islands and I worked on a little island there um, okay. island of about 500 people and taught in the high school and yeah, lived an island life for a okay. while. Okay. Yeah. What were the kids like there? I mean, different um, to... Australia, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, uh, English, English as a second language, but second but language. generally um, very good English skills um, among these guys. Um, the difference, I suppose, in their student behaviour. These guys were really keen to learn. Like they, you know, they were really energetic and trying sure. their best. And you know, I suppose it's a, a difference to Australia where we we take our education system for for granted, and people are quite blasé about. That oh, it depends, I suppose, on different students. But these guys were really trying to take every opportunity they could, and um, yeah, um, limited resources and facilities. But um, yeah, an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, why don't you go into Samoa instead? To Samoa. Samoa. That I wasn't sent there, but uh-huh. I've been to Samoa. I've actually travelled in Samoa, and um, yeah. Okay. And why did, why did you end up? Why did you decide you want to go to the Cook Islands and, and work outside of Australia as opposed to inside Australia? Well, well, actually, the when I graduated, there were just too many teaching graduates. Um, so I spent a year doing relief teaching and and trying to get a full time job, and there wasn't there was just too many teachers. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I just thought, well, I'll go somewhere where they need teachers. And um, I also was very interested in um, going overseas and, and experiencing other cultures. It's um, actually, I initially applied with them to go to Africa somewhere, and they said, no, 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 we, we're going to send you to the Cook Islands. We, I had no idea about this country, didn't know it existed. But um, when I, um, yeah, when I got asked to go there, I checked on a map and found this place and thought, why not? So, seeing as we talk about multicultural affairs, I was going to ask uh, Jason about, you know. What was it like living in the Cook Islands in terms of customs and values? I mean, mm. in Australia, we're used to um, a certain way of life. I mean, what was it like in, in the Cook Islands? And I'm sure Bull can, can add some of his points as well about living in Sudan and the customs you, you were accustomed to back home and, and, and the fact that you've moved here and having to, to adjust to a different way of life. What do you think? What was that like, Jason? Um, I found the, the, I suppose, the cultural difference. I found yeah. the people extremely warm and, and open as families. You know, in, in Australia, we have very um, the, the nuclear family. So, you know, we, when we're old enough, we separate from our family and go and live by ourselves. And our um, parents live separately from our grandparents. And in this, in this case, you know, you had grandma and grandpa and the parents and the kids and the brother and the wife and the grandkids and all of this. And I found that a really, really warm environment to live in. Um, it, it, um, it contrasts with Australia in that um, relationships come first. And I think that I would say that um, applies in Africa as well, my experience there, that people, people and your relationship with them is more important than work tasks. So people will um, prioritise engaging with you, building a relationship, talking with you over completing a task. And whereas in, in Australia, our, it's, it's very so much relationships are within tight confines of, um, you know, depending how you're doing, business relationships or personal relationships. So I found, um, I found it you know, very different because we you know, stick to times and we want to be on time and we say, what time are we going to do this and that? And if we're late, we're 10 minutes late, that's, that's bad. Whereas in, you know, they talk about Pacific time, that you know, if you want everyone to be there at 8, you ask them to be there at 6 and by 8 everyone will be there. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a different uh, perspective on how, how the world operates, I suppose. Yeah. Um, how did it feel um, contributing to the people in Cook Island? How did it feel contributing? Yeah. Well, I um, I suppose one thing I did bring was I, you know, f- fluent English, and everyone appreciates um, being able to develop their English skills. And I suppose um, um, if you're teaching English with a with a you know as your first language, you've got the breadth and of language and skills to to sort of share that, and people you know like to be able to hear a natural English speaker. What, so I think. What is it? Sorry, what is this? The spoken language in the Cook Islands. It's Maori. Okay. So, um, Maori's a, a well. There's New Zealand Maori. There's Tahitian Maori. Um, and there's Hawaiian Maori and there's Cook Island Maori. So they're all linked. They can understand each other, but they've got different. Um, sort of, you know, Tahitians have a few letters missing, New Zealanders have a few extra letters, but the structure of the language is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. And why, why did you take up teaching in the first place, like going back a few steps? Why I took up teaching? Yeah, why teaching and not, I don't know, um, some it's other? A, it's a really interesting question. Um, the... To be honest, when I when I got to time to go to university, I hadn't really thought about what I wanted to do. I I, I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be a, a a carpenter, and I wanted to be a mechanic. These were all iterations of my chosen career. Mm-hmm. And then 
all these university these university papers were hand out when I was in year 12 and I'm sure I'd thought about it a bit more than this but a friend of mine was just saying oh, I'm going to apply for teaching spend time with kids all day it's a lot of fun you finish at three o'clock and so I, I sort of filled in the forms for teaching and my friend didn't get in and I did and it was probably a year into my course then I realized actually this is really good I'm really glad I ended up doing this so yeah <laughs> and uh, what I mean, when so when you finished, was it you said there you know there was kind of a, a bit of an oversupply of teaching graduates in Australia, and yeah, so you yeah. decided to head a, head abroad. Yeah. But it's uh, and and I guess in that sense you were working in a in a developing community as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, did that's that's I guess not the only way in which you know somebody somebody who's young and wanting to wanting to make an impact can can contribute. What are what are some of the other um, kind of key key resources that you know Australian graduates can can contribute well I mean in terms of going overseas there's a number of programs that um people can up, uptake and you can just go on the net and find them there's um Australian Volunteers International there's youth, Australian Youth Ambassadors there's um a program called VIDA they're all separate programs where you don't have to be a teacher you can be of any type of professional career mm. and go overseas and and um experience another culture and contribute in that way I mean I suppose you can go of your own of your own steam and, and do that yourself. Um, is, is there any restrictions? I mean, are there, is there anyone any areas of profession? The areas of profession they're looking for in particular. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think um, um, it, it, it. My experience would be that all the social services, nursing, teaching, um, um, th- they're always in high demand. Any type of um, development studies, those types of works, legal skills. I mean, probably the whole range. I mean, props. Um, you know, engineers and others are not always in high demand because it's not doesn't tend to be NGOs and these organizations that are doing engineering type work so it's probably service and social type um, okay. areas okay yeah because I mean there are I mean I've I've looked into volunteering and um, it's it's there's just so much out there it just yeah. depends on what you're interested in and um, what you're willing to contribute to Is yeah right? exactly there are, there are so many opportunities out there and there's a whole range of other programs than the one I the ones I've uh, yeah, absolutely mentioned. absolutely and and I assume the uh, and I'm expecting i assume the experience from teaching in the cook islands has certainly helped in living in south africa because you having to expose to different cultures you mentioned that there's very family oriented i understand from friends and family that have been to south africa it's uh family is very important to south africans as well and, yeah yeah and to the region as well is that something that was were you able to take the experience from cook islands and transport into south africa and travels well I, I to some degree i think okay. the principles of maybe cross-cultural relations you can you can apply so i mean i wouldn't say culturally they're they're similar i mean okay. you know yep. most south africans in the area where i live in pretoria have never you know rarely have they seen the ocean let alone you know gone swimming or anything like this yeah. so whereas all islanders can swim and fish and so it's, there's 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 vastly different vastly different experiences but the i suppose the principles of um you know cultural differences don't it's not high or low it's it's about difference and that's all and it's so cultural respect is about um being open to the fact that there are different ways of doing things different ways of looking at the world and different ways of prioritizing in your life and i suppose if you um see solely from your own upbringing or your own cultural perspective you'll um, not like, dislike, or devalue certain elements of other cultures. But if you recognise, I mean, I try to see all cultures as you know, they're obviously equal and the same, with different approaches to the world based on experiences. So even even within Australia, if you think of someone who's grown up in the country versus someone who's grown up in the city, you're, the way you value 
um, different elements of life and, and prioritise and your knowledge base of different parts of life and society and, and then the environment are uh, different. So it's not high or low, it's, it's different. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, if I'm a high school student in Australia, are there ways that I can contribute to de- development work? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a. It depends what um, what you'd like to do. There's, you know, you can everything you can do can be contributing to development. Um, you can contribute within your community. I mean, you know, participating in a community radio station like this and raising awareness of issues is one way. You can uh, participate in community activities, cleaning up your your community in terms of development overseas. Um, There are a number of programs you can support. You can, you know, um, sponsor children or you can sponsor villages. I think now you can even buy a chicken for... (laughs) buy a a goat or something like that if that's that's the way you want to contribute. Um, I'm thinking online, participating online discussions and fora, and and um, I, and then I suppose I think in your high school, if you are um, raising awareness among your peers, not supporting racial or, or prejudicial attitudes and and behaviour, then you're you're contributing to the development, I think, of the world. Um, yeah. Mm. Cool. Well, well, should we should we go to some music, and maybe when we come back, we can uh, talk to Jason a bit more about his uh, his shenanigans at the World Cup in uh, South Africa and, and his experiences over there? Yeah. Cool. Uh, hi, guys. Welcome back to 98.3. Um, we're interviewing Jason. And we're just going to talk about the World Cup. Yeah, so what was it like watching the World Cup live? And... It, I think it was probably as amazing as it, it would have seemed. I, I really... I'm I'm a sort of soccer fan. I used to play, and when I stopped playing, I I didn't really I wasn't that interested. Actually, um, some friends here in Canberra got me interested the, in the last World Cup when Australia got in, and we unfortunately knocked out a little early. But because I was over there as an Australian, we fortunately had the chance to meet the Australian team when they arrived and and participate with them. And then the excitement was amazing. There was just you knew you the World Cup was in in South Africa. There was just posters and flags and stuff everywhere. It was really amazing to be there. And what was it like interacting with all the people? Because that's where, you know, people from all over the world have gathered in South Africa. What was that like? I mean, oh, I mean right. the, yeah. the streets were full all the time, from the beginning of the World Cup to the end. I mean, there were, there were games all in different places, but where I, where I was staying in Pretoria, I think there were about 10 teams located in that area so you always saw people you saw tourists you see the buses going by with um you know that was the argentina team police escorts and everything it was really exciting um there not much work got done like <laughs> during the world cup it was all the world cup tv was on you know, yeah doing your work watching tv, TV. which on. one is it yeah, but also they had, they had <laughs> fan parks which they called okay. and so basically in all major shopping centers and in some places on you know they'd close off streets and have massive screens and so everyone could be part of the, the 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 cup it was really inclusive and and what was it like i mean what was um i mean the media hype there was a lot of media hype about you know certain areas you know not benefiting from yeah, yeah from, I mean, that's right like yeah. i guess with, with any event like this when you hear about um you know how how it's a multicultural event and brings the world together you also the media also presents reports of the other side of the coin mm. um and i think in the case of of africa it was um one of the focuses was on you know the 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 disparity between the between rich and poor. Mm. Um, how, how did that play out in in South Africa itself? Was um, into, oh like media over there and the, and the feeling amongst the people over there? Mm. Uh, well, 
Um, I mean, I suppose the disparity between rich and poor and, and those issues were there before the World Cup yeah, and yeah, I yeah, continue yeah. afterwards. But right. during the World Cup, it was interesting. There were a number of international media organisations who highlighted certain issues. And, I, you know, a few of them highlighted things like child abuse and, and abuse of women and other things. So you'd see these documentaries on TV or articles highlighting that. And then within the country, there was a lot of um, complaint about the amount of money being spent on new stadiums and roadworks and all this type of thing. And yet there's so much poverty. How can we afford all this? And, and yet for, 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 for one month versus the, um, um, the, the ongoing needs of the country. I mean, the, the, there was also a lot of analysis in newspapers. You know, they say they talked about okay, what will South Africa earn from the games, and what will it ongoingly earn, and what did it spend? So I don't know. I think there was still controversy about was it of net gain to the country or not. But um, it was amazing that the crime rates almost disappeared during the World Cup for a month. The, the crime rates were unbelievable or unheard of, and then that continued for weeks afterwards. And a lot of organisations tried to capitalise on that and say, "South Africa, we're really united here. This has been a you know a country building event, nation building event. Let's let's continue and maintain that." And you know, obviously, things go back to normal after time. But it was it was a it was a special time in South Africa. Mm. I think. Have they actually maintained that? I mean, after the World Cup, you said the crime is low. At the moment, is that still there at the moment? Is it maintained or I, I have? Like, there's been sort of no roundup of um, that recently that I've seen, and I couldn't say that I, you know, couldn't really say. But yeah. Uh, can I just say, like, a caller has just joined us. He's another person that is interested in experiencing what it's like. And Malwal, he's in studio. Yeah. yeah. So anytime you want to ask any questions, you can just tune in. So, so uh, we were just talking then about um, racism. Uh, sorry, about uh, about poverty, um, poverty versus uh, versus all the all the kind of money that that was brought in with the games. Um, racism was seemed to be another thing that was um, featured a lot on, on media as well. Is is this something that um, that is a is a common experience in in South Africa? Is it? Um, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, look, well, of course, South Africa is, you know, famous internationally for, for, you know, specifically racist policies. The apartheid policies were were designated racist policies. So, um, you know, the the um, the abolition of of apartheid in in the early nineties was was a big step. But you don't you know, for forty years of these very very strictly racist policies that doesn't just evaporate. And so even now, you know, there's segregated living. Areas not by legislation, but by you know when when thousands of people of one race were living in this area and another you know people don't just suddenly all move around. So I'd say there's still um, significant racial tension in South Africa. But you know I, I have a friend from South Africa who's living in Canberra and says you know in in South Africa you you refer to yourself as black, white, or coloured, and you can be Indian or others, and people are quite comfortable with those terms. Over here, it seems if you call someone is black or someone is white, you're you know people are not comfortable with that that language. So it's in some ways I'm not sure what's the better situation. You know, being being quite straight up about the fact that we are of different colours. But um, the thing is, uh, you know, the, um, the reality is we're all one people, we're all humans, we have the same, uh, same blood in our veins. So it, it, it's, that's not, I suppose, the main issue, what, how we refer to issues. Um, what was apartheid? 
and what was apartheid? Yeah. So apartheid, uh, it's an Afrikaans word, and I, I couldn't, I don't speak Afrikaans, but apartness, being apart. And um, my understanding of it, and I'm Australian and I've only been there 18 months, so I'm not the authority, but um, my understanding is it was a, a deliberate policy to separate out people of different races. Um, and there was um, certainly statements by the then um, prime, uh, president of um, um, South Africa that, you know, that um, black people had a certain place in society and that was for certain types of jobs and certain levels and the policies meant separate education systems so a lot more was spent on the education of um, whites and much less was spent on the education of blacks. So it was a definite policy to separate out people and, and advantage provide advantages to one group of people and disadvantages to others. But just interestingly, um, there's, a, there's a museum in uh, Joburg called the Apartheid Museum and when you visit there, it talks about the, the difficulties that, you know, even the, um, the authorities had in implementing apartheid in that they would try to classify people. So they would look at someone and say, you're coloured or you're black or you're white. And what happened was a mother would be separated from her kids and the, the husband would be separated and say, well, you're white, you can go to this area, or you're coloured or you're black. And, you know, it was so arbitrary what, it, that, what was being done. It, it was completely unscientific. It was all very, very based on just opinions of people. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a crazy. I mean, I can only imagine what it was like at that time. But yeah. Absolutely. But I was going to ask you, just going back to our point about the World Cup, is it an opportunity for South Africa to address some of these issues as well? I mean, the, 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 the world spotlight was on South Africa for a month, highlighted all these issues, mm-hmm. uh, poor development, disparity between rich and poor. Do you think the World Cup was an opportunity? Gave them an opportunity to address? These, these issues? I, I certainly think it was an opportunity to highlight these issues oh, okay. and, and I think okay. it was highlighted both for the international um, the world and also within, within South Africa. Although, you know, a one-month sporting event isn't, isn't going to change the, 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 the world, but it's certainly... Uh, a they, start, isn't it? It's a start. And, and unity and being one nation or being together, and, and, and it was really talked about at the time and it really felt like an amazing united, united place at the time. Yeah. Um, how does the future look or, or for unity in South Africa? Mm. Um, I think South Africa has amazing challenges and huge difficulties, in, in, and you can't compare to life in Australia with life in South Africa in terms of the challenges that the nation faces. It has a huge um, unemployment rate. It has a huge demand on its economy to, to, to support a lot of people. There's a lot of people... Um, post-apartheid saying where you know we promised when apartheid ended we'd get we'd get equality we'd get all of these things but in a free market economy you know you've got to study you've got to compete for a job and it doesn't suddenly mean that everyone's the same so there's a lot of unrest in the terms of the inequalities between wealthy and poor but um i you know one thing that i keep thinking is amazing if you think about a minority group of people who were oppressing one majority group of people. You could have had retribution, you could have had revenge, um, you could have had war in South Africa once it ended, but there wasn't. It was generally peaceful. It was generally, um, you know, there wasn't retribution. There are still, you know, all these cultures still living side by side in, in South Africa now. So it, it's amazing. I think, you know, people talk about the legacy of Nelson, Nelson Mandela and he, you know, he set the mode for e- equality and... and, um, and um, harmony within races and it's still continuing so it's an amazing you know amazing feat that's happened yeah um is if um 
Vu Cousin were annoying. Do you remember the Vuvuzelas? Vuvuzelas, yeah, yeah. Vuvuzelas. Okay, so Vuvuzelas were... I never found them annoying because I was when I was at the games, I was in the crowd and we were blowing the Vuvuzela. So it was exciting. It was really exciting. So you're one of those bad people that was on the radio, and the radio commentators saying, "Shut up! Stop yeah, making yeah. that noise." That's right. That's right. No, it was amazing. I think Vuvuzelas were the the, the cold sign of the games. It was amazing. And you know, any time of night or day, you would hear Vuvuzelas mm. everywhere I was. It's it's funny actually, like to to have the uh, the question of of um, you know unity between the between uh, you know post apartheid. Followed up with a question about sport because uh, because it was I mean it wasn't you know I watched I mean my history is not great but you know um, the the idea of uh, rugby in South Africa was pretty you know pretty massive and it was traditionally a, a sport that was associated with the universities and um, and the white privileged yep. and so it was a sport very much reserved for the the whites um, yep. and yet that's in terms you know rugby union today in South Africa is um, it's it's multi you know it's it's mm. Um, multi-ethnic. I mean, you know, you've got people from all sorts of different backgrounds, and then to be followed up with a World Cup, it really kind of yeah it does show what yeah. these um, sport, you know, sport unites in in a lot of ways. Um, um, you know, the, it, within within aid, there's also sport for development, and and it's a it's a it's a really important tool for society building and bringing people together and and uniting. I mean, obviously, it gets out of hand sometimes in Europe during the Premier League, but yeah, you know. well, that's right. What, what have you got on your wrist there? Talking about sport and development. Is it this? Yeah, yeah. Bang balls. Yeah, tell what what's Big Bang Balls again? Um, they're an organization of basketball. Um, they like help kids that like homeless kids in somewhere around the world. They help them, bring them together, and play basketball. And they have like ten countries. They're in ten countries now, helping and developing basketball. Are they? Because like what they, they, I remember they're, they're in Sri Lanka. Are they in Africa as well? Yeah, they're going to Africa. Yeah, right. And that's a that's a camper-based organization. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We had uh, we had Pierre Johansson in here um, a couple couple of weeks ago, and these guys interviewed him about um, about this organisation, which is the one he started up. So okay, yeah. uh, J- Jason, like you said last time, you said you toured around Africa. Uh, so could you tell us to all the places you went? Okay, I mean, I, when I say I toured around Africa, I, I, my work there takes me to many countries because we're working on programs yeah. in, in multiple countries. So A little bit like a rock star? <laughs> Not very much, but yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, uh, ba- being based in South Africa, I've, I've travelled a, a fair bit. So um, Botswana and Mozambique, Lesotho in the south, been to Tanzania, Zambia, um, been to Kenya a couple of times, Uganda, Rwanda. And Ethiopia, I think I've covered most of them. Yeah, so so all, always with work I've travelled. I haven't actually had much time to take a holiday since I've been there. <laughs> so how did you get around in Africa? Fortunately, I I went on a plane mostly. I've driven. I drove to um, drove to Lesotho, and I've driven to Botswana because it's very close to South Africa. But the rest it was on planes. Uh, what was your experience with the culture? With the culture? Yeah. Um, it's interesting, um, there's, you know, the, every place you go to is different. Every place has its unique ways. And, um, you know, I, it's one thing, um, people, you know, when I was in the Pacific, people, um, could easily tell that someone there was from Tonga, someone there was from Samoa, this person was from, uh, you know, Fiji. 
And, uh, you know, visitors would say, how can you tell these people or they look the same? But once you've been there for a while, you see that different people have a different look, they have a different accent. They, and so the same, same across Africa, there's such diversity of people. And what, I, what I'm really, I mean, unfortunately, when you travel for work, you arrive, you go to the hotel or you go straight to a meeting, you go between your meetings or visit the sites you need to visit and then you fly out. There's not much leisure time. But um, what I noticed when I'm moving around, you know, um, I, I found, you know, Tanzania was amazing. It's a coastal place. The, it, there's um, a lot of white sand. Every, well, not sand, I suppose, but the ground's white. But people are riding on these push bikes with big carts behind them carrying huge amounts of stuff. Like you need a truck to carry that type of stuff. And um, when I was in, in Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, you know, you can have these beautiful hotels and buildings and yet there'll be goats grazing on the grass and, you know, like very different mix of um, events. In Zambia, like the, the capital city there, you, you don't feel like you're in a city. There's just trees everywhere. And so it feel, like, I just feel like I'm in the tree city when I'm in, <laughs> in Zambia. But um, yeah. It uh, seems like it suit you well, like you're kind of pretty laid back demeanor. Yeah. Your yeah. kind of place. Yeah, no, Zambia was great. And actually, I really like Lesotho as well. It was just quite quiet and really friendly people. Like, you know, in South Africa, if you were, say, you're going beside a building with guards, there'll be guards with big guns and you wouldn't chat with them. But I was there waiting for, we were having a meeting, I was waiting and there were guards with guns from the army. We were chatting away and they were telling me about their family. And like, it was really friendly. So I really liked Lesotho. Um, yeah, I mean, I've like, really liked all of the places I've been, to be honest. I just wish I could spend a bit more time there. And yeah. So what was it like traveling through Africa? What was it like? Yeah. Well, flying is flying. It's the same whether you're flying to, you know, Australia or anywhere else. So it's a bit longer to get to Australia. But I really enjoyed the people. I really enjoyed them. Um, people are so friendly. People are helpful. Um, um, I, I liked I liked experience the dif- experiencing the different foods and um, yeah, just you know one of the things I remember in um, was it Tanzania, um, you know, in in Africa people there's a lot of entrepreneurism so there's lots of little businesses and people selling things and providing all range of services so you can get your shoes shined here and so when you're sitting in the traffic lights. There'll be, um, like, I just remember being in Tanzania and, and there was just a constant stream of people walking past the car. One is selling food, bananas, apples, nuts. Then someone is selling pillows. Someone is selling electric lights. Someone is selling, you know, name it, they're selling it. Headphones. Someone's selling um, any type of, like, you could literally buy anything you needed. Just, you just got to wait for the right person to walk past your car. Maps and books. And it's just incredible. Like, the, yeah. The, the drive through supermarket. The drive through supermarket. You do all your shopping on your way home <laughs> um, what was your favorite food in Africa my favorite food that's a hard one I must say I thought Ethiopian food was quite amazing it's very different to um, different to foods I've eaten before and in southern Africa it's quite different to to that um, at Mozambique there's a lot of seafood but uh, you know I suppose I, I mean I'm, I'm exper- used to seafood from the Pacific but I think Ethiopian was the most interesting so we might probably see you with Ethiopian Restaurant in Dixon. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was just, yeah, yeah. Been there, I'm sure. Well, I, I was there before I left, but it was amazing to be at an Ethiopian restaurant in Ethiopia. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, what has been your most awkward culture experience in Africa? Wow, um, <laughs> that's a good question. My most awkward cultural experience. Um, 
Yeah. What about in the or in the islands? In the islands. Um, I'm not good with <laughs> you know. You live on Earth. I'm not good with like what's your favorite food? What's I, I don't know. <laughs> I suppose um, nothing's coming to mind. But but basically um, misinterpreting what people are meaning. So um, when people are trying to explain something and you you know I don't know you're trying to get to the point or extract information from someone and they're telling it in a different way. So I suppose sometimes. When I was teaching in the Cook Islands, I say there's some specific examples where I would, um, some some kids were doing something, they're trying to explain something to me, and I said, no, that's not what I asked you to do. You were supposed to do this experiment and do that. And I, you know, um, got annoyed at them. And then afterwards, I realized, ah, that's what they were trying to do. They were actually really trying to figure something out. But because I didn't actually listen closely to what they're explaining, I, I missed completely what they were saying so regretting not actually taking the time to really uh yeah try and understand when you stopped at each city um would you go to try stuff out would i go to try stuff out yeah well the problem when you're traveling for work they they're not going to pay you to have spare time so i didn't i couldn't say i really tried much out i've tried out some different foods when i was in uh, rwanda I had, um, fortunately, I had a weekend. I went to the Genocide Museum, and that was quite amazing. I, I left that um, Genocide Museum quite changed in terms of very, very sad and changed. And what sorts of stuff would you see at the museum there? At the museum. Well, uh, just in case anyone's not aware, genocide, um, there's a, the genocide in uh, Rwanda was when um, there was a, basically a massacre of a large number of people of one group. So genocide is when um, one, uh, one group... Wipe, or tries to wipe out another, and a huge amount of people were killed. So a million, about a million people were killed in a, in a, in a, a, well, I wouldn't say it was a war, it was a genocide in Rwanda. But it shows you pictures of um, people who were involved in, in the genocide, people who survived. It shows you pictures of massacres where you see photos of just areas where everyone had been killed. It also explained what were the events leading up to the point where the the genocide happened. So it was quite uh, very educational, but very, very shocking that, you know, these beautiful people could have done this to each other. And so when you're in Rwanda now, you can see people with, you know, big scars on their head or, you know, wounds that, that you know, occurred during during the massacre. The, the massacre. So it's quite, it's it's real. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, we will now quiz you. <laughs> um, um, the first question is um, What's the population of Africa? What's the population of Africa? So yeah, I South understand Africa. Oh, South Africa yeah. Okay Well, Africa, South Africa um, has, I think, about 47 million people Around almost 50 million people So two and a half times the Australian population And I think we have a continent that's <laughs> four times bigger Bigger yeah, or something, right. yeah um, Number two the, What's the official language? Uh, South Africa has 11 official languages, so it's it's a complex place. So there's I can't name them all, but there's English and Afrikaans, there's Zulu and Sisutu and Setswana and uh, the various other ones. There's Northern Sutu and Southern Sutu and yeah, I don't know them all. <laughs> um, how many how many countries are in Africa? Fifty three. You're smart. Are you sure about that? <laughs> Well, that, that's what I understand. I know there's a few countries that are disputed, and you know, Sudan. Obviously, there's um, there's potentially Sudan might break into two countries, but you know, at the moment, I believe there's 53. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll find out. We'll find that out later. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, 
Who's the best footballer in Africa? Who's the best footballer in Africa? Ah, uh, look, there's there's lots of them. I'm not gonna name one. <laughs> Who's your favorite? My my favorite. Um, my favorite footballer is an Australian. So I'm sorry, I'm not gonna name a, <laughs> name an African footballer. Um, do you think uh, the Socceroos will beat Egypt? Do I think the Sakharov will beat Egypt next yeah. week? Nah. No idea. I can't gamble on that. We'll see. My we'll see. already said no, so... Okay. <laughs> and what do you think? Do you think Sakharov will beat uh, Egypt? I've never seen Egypt play, but, but I've yeah, seen they're Australian. They're the African champions. They're good. That's Africans, yeah. yeah. No, nah, I've never seen them, but hopefully they win. Okay. That's my thing. <laughs> uh, I think that's, that's at least four out of five for Jason. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> okay. A call has a question to ask. Um, what, what was it like in Africa and what was your favorite place? Um, I, I mean, I, I think Africa is amazing. I was just saying before that, you know, I'm fortunate I've got another 18 months um, in my current job. And then who knows, I might try to stay a bit longer over there. It's so interesting, diverse, and there's so much variety. And, you know, it's, you know, Australia is quite isolated in a lot of ways. It's an island and a continent and a country. And we, we, we have a, a, a big cultural diversity here. But, you know, there's a predominant cultural way of life here. But in Africa, you know, it's diverse and, and amazingly um, um, changing. My favorite place, like, um, look, I think I really, really liked Rwanda. I thought Rwanda was really beautiful and neat and really great people. But um, that was until I went to Lesotho. And then now I'm thinking Lesotho might be the, the nicest place. But, you know, I, I, I'm not so good at favorites. I like I liked everywhere I've been. Cool. Um, what was the weather in there? The weather. Yeah, how was it like? Really hot, much hotter than here, <laughs> but beautiful. Well, so how is it? F how how hard is it fitting in into Australia again? Hard. Um, it's not so hard because this is my my home. I suppose I'm used to the culture. But when I come back, people have said, "Ah, oh, your accent. You've changed the way you speak." And so I'm a bit. <laughs> I haven't realized that I've changed, but it seems that my my accent's changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, this is the end of the show. To next time on Thursday. Um, who's our guest? Uh, yet to be announced. Oh. <laughs> You'll find out on Thursday. And the song, we're going to go to a song, and that's the end of the day.